You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the worsening air quality across Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley this evening. As smoke from wildfires and a structure fire in Vancouver wafts across the south coast tonight. If you're anywhere on the south coast, you can likely see and smell that fine particulate matter that is now lingering across the region. And it is expected to persist right into next week. The haze can be seen from Vancouver to the top of Burnaby Mountain and the North Shore Mountains to the Fraser Valley and beyond. The Metro Vancouver Regional District says it's due to smoke from wildfires burning in B.C. and across the U.S. An early morning fire at a wood recycling plant in Vancouver also compounding the issue. The concentrations of smoke across the Lower Mainland will fluctuate depending on changes in wind directions, temperatures and wildfire activity. Now to show the widespread impact of that haze and those fires, take a look at these images of the Lower Mainland on board a BC ferry as the vessel pulled away from dock earlier today. Smoky skies creating an eerie darkened hue over the area, while this was the vantage point on board that same ferry ride in Active Pass where skies were clear. That smoke and haze also making its way to Vancouver Island, socking in the Inner Harbour and the grounds of the BC Legislature in Victoria as well. One of the main sources of that wildfire smoke is the Flood Falls Trail Fire burning near Hope, which has grown aggressively in size in recent days and put a number of residents under evacuation alert. Travis Prasad reports. On a mountainside this steep, fighting the fire on foot is nearly impossible. So wildfire crews in six helicopters are dousing the flames from the air with water scooped from the Fraser River. And that can be effective in helping us to slow the fire growth and try to contain it to uh, where it's currently hung up on the slope. But the terrain is challenging. The fire grew overnight to 65 hectares. Trees candling in clear sight from Highway 1. I'm in a trailer park over here. There's about 100 of us. So, And in between us is a farmer and his, all the grass is dead dry like this. So if we got the wind change of directions, we get a spark. It's going to light up his field and then it's just going to be a grass fire going right through our trailer park, right? A small community west of Hope's main drag is on evacuation alert. Well, it's kind of scary. It's not too scary. I just keep watching them, you know, do their job. Ed Campbell and his wife have plans to stay with friends in Chilliwack if things get any worse. We're all set to go if, uh, if anything happens. We don't want to go, but um, if, they, um, if they give the nod, we're gone. So at this time, there's no imminent threat, but we are making sure that people understand the urgency of this situation and have uh, adequate time to make preparations um, if things do continue to escalate. Not only is it hot and dry here in Hope, it's also windy. Steady wind coming from the east is now pushing all of the wildfire smoke west toward the Fraser Valley. But in Hope, the flames are still the focus. I can pack up quick, but I would say if it gets down to the highway down here, I'll be packing and getting ready to go. The fire has been burning since Thursday night. Officials believe it was human-caused, but won't say how. Travis Prasad, Global News. And the other notable wildfire producing significant smoke is the Heather Lake wildfire, which is burning just outside Manning Park. The BC Wildfire Service says that blaze is about 7,000 hectares in size, with its growth being driven by outflow winds. An evacuation alert for the community of Eastgate remains in place, which means residents must be ready to leave at a moment's notice. 
And in the Peace Region, an evacuation order has been expanded as the battleship complex fire continues to grow aggressively. The order applies to an area west of Hudson's Hope and just south of Williston Lake. The battleship mountain fire was sparked by a lightning strike last week. It now covers 130 square kilometers. The regional district expanded that evacuation order twice today. People in impacted areas are being told to leave immediately and head east towards Highway 29. The regional government has also expanded the evacuation alert areas north and southwest of Hudson's Hope. And that recycling waste fire in Vancouver that is also contributing to poor air quality is still smoldering this evening. Fire crews were called to the site in South Vancouver along the Fraser River at Ontario Street at around 2.30 this morning. It appears a large pile of sawdust and construction material on site caught fire, but exactly how is now under investigation. A fireboat was used to assist ground crews in combating these stubborn flames all day. And for more on how long this worsening air quality could last and how bad it could get, let's bring in a meteorologist, Yvonne Shell. Yvonne, good to see you. Good to see you, Sarah. Good evening, everyone. Yes, it has been deteriorating our air quality. We can see that at moderate for a few spots, even across the island. Victoria is included within that. For the Tri-Cities, we're also sitting at moderate, and it's been at high now. It's bumped up for areas east into the Fraser Valley. That's where we're tracking poor air quality, currently sitting at eight. Areas across Langley sitting at four, and then towards the west end, that's where we're seeing it lighter. But still, we'll continue to watch this likely still local smoke widespread for a few areas both today this evening and then leading in towards tomorrow so those with respiratory issues it is recommended that you can try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors air quality advisory so victoria extending in towards duncan metro vancouver the fraser valley fraser canyon similkameen a few spots in towards the columbia and kootenai and even extending in towards the northeastern corners of the province our smoke forecast showing us that we'll still see it could be widespread through the day for tomorrow hoping to see a break as we get in towards for Monday, but we're still tracking very hot and dry conditions. I'll have our fire danger rating coming up very shortly as well. Sarah? All right, Yvonne, thank you. We'll see you soon. Turning now to a big break in a homicide investigation that has been ongoing for five long years. In 2017, at Chelsea Gautier, a young mother from Abbotsford, went missing. She was later found murdered. Today, investigators announced an arrest and charges in the case, with her former employer now behind bars. Amadagahi spoke with Gautier's frustrated loved ones. She would say anything to us. We all knew each other's lives, and then all of a sudden, it went dark. It was five years ago in the summer of 2017 when 22-year-old Chelsea Gautier went missing, last seen at a McDonald's on South Fraser Way in Abbotsford. A mother of two toddlers at the time her disappearance was described as uncharacteristic. Weeks later, her body was discovered in a rural area in Mission, starting a homicide investigation that has finally come to an end. We worked diligently to make sure that we brought justice to this family and didn't give up over five years. Friday morning, police arrested Gary Loesch, a 67-year-old man now facing charges of second-degree murder and indignity to human remains connected to Gautier's death. I hit as well as the Abbotsford police didn't give up on this. We kept working diligently through all the challenges that came over the last five years. I was dreading it in a sense because a lot of this stuff is going to end up resurfacing and there's going to be even more things that are going to resurface or surface now that um, I was kind of dreading. But it's it's still a good day because, you know, an arrest has been made and we've been waiting for this for five years. Our whole family has. 
Gautier's cousins and best friends came to the Abbotsford Police Department to question an IHIT spokesperson, demanding to know why investigators had not acted sooner. Everybody is saying this is who it is, this is what happened, this is the evidence. Why? Like, I just don't understand why it would take five years. IHIT not willing to speak on the specifics of the evidence that had led to Loesch, only revealing he had hired Gautier to work for him at a marijuana grow-up in the area where her body was found. Those close to Chelsea Gautier say at the time she had been looking for a job to support herself. And she was trying to get um, in a better spot for her kids. He goes to prison and pays for what he did because she didn't deserve that. IHIT now says that Gary Loesch will be held in police custody over the weekend and that he is set to appear in court for his first appearance on Friday. Imadagahi, Global News. Two teenagers have been charged in connection with the fatal and apparently random stabbing of a Vancouver Island man. He was attacked late Monday night at a park in downtown Nanaimo. Police were responding to calls about a group of youths intimidating a security guard along the waterfront when they discovered the 29-year-old stabbing victim and his 22-year-old friend who had been bear sprayed. The stabbing victim died in hospital. A 19-year-old man and a 17-year-old youth were arrested. 19-year-old Mark Jaden Harrison has since been charged with second-degree murder. And 19-year-old Aiden Matthew Bell is charged with assault with a weapon and possessing a prohibited weapon. Investigators do not believe the victim and the suspects knew each other. It is election day for voters in South Surrey. There is about two hours left for voters in the Surrey South riding to cast their ballots in today's provincial by-election, which will determine who replaces that riding's outgoing MLA. Richard Zussman joins us now live with what we can expect ahead of tonight's results. Richard. Sarah, this is a by-election that is getting very little buzz. My understanding from those in the riding right now say the voter turnout has been very low. So if you're in Surrey South... Finish watching Sarah, finish watching the news, and then head out and go cast your ballot. Uh, the BC Liberals are perceived here as the front runner. They have held this seat in this community for a long time. It became open when Stephanie Kudia left. Eleanor Sturko, uh, the RCMP, longtime RCMP spokesperson in Surrey, is running for the party. They have had a big push here on the doorsteps, led by former Surrey Mayor Diane Watts. Current MLA Trevor Hulford has also spent a lot of time in this community trying to convince people to keep the B.C. Liberals in in terms of this seat. Uh, it's also a referendum very much on new leader Kevin Falcon and what voters here in Surrey South think about Falcon as the leader. Uh, it's also potentially a referendum on Premier John Horgan. The NDP is running Pauline Greaves. She ran for them last time around. It was one of the closest ridings in the province in the last provincial election. But people are frustrated with a lack of family doctors, an increase in crime, an increase in cost of living. And this is an opportunity to express some of that Frustration. Let's have a look here at the larger field. So you heard me mention Eleanor Sturko. She is the Liberal candidate. Pauline Greaves is the NDP candidate. Simran Sarai is running for the Greens. And Harman Bagra 
uh, is the conservative candidate. And Bangor is a really interesting one here because, Sarah, another thing we have to watch very closely is where the conservative vote goes. The B.C. conservatives have not done well in B.C. in the last few elections, but there seems to be a bit of a resurgence. We'll see whether that pulls away from potential B.C. liberal votes. Again, polls close at 8. You'll get your results online on the Global BC website and on BC One once those results are in. Okay, we wait and see, and we will, of course, have updates on the outcome of that by-election tonight at 11 with Richard Zussman. Richard, thank you. And some breaking news tonight on the federal political front. Pierre Polyev is the new leader of the Federal Conservative Party. The Honourable Pierre Polyev and Anna Polyev. Going into tonight, Polyev had a commanding lead within conservative polls, and he is now the official leader of the conservative party, winning with 68 percent of the vote on first ballot. Polyev beating former Quebec Premier Jean Charest, who received 16 percent of the points, as well as conservative MP Leslin Lewis, former Ontario MP Roman Barber, and MP Scott Aitchison. We'll have more details on this leadership race as well, coming up at 11 o'clock. Well, Canada officially has a new head of state, with Charles officially proclaimed king in London today, two days after the death of his mother. Buckingham Palace has now confirmed the funeral for Queen Elizabeth II. will take place on Monday, September 19th, that is 10 days from now. Her body will be brought to London from Scotland on Tuesday before lying in state at Westminster Hall. Redmond Shannon reports on an historic day in London. Whereas it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy our late Sovereign Lady, Queen Elizabeth II, of blessed and glorious memory. The language, just like the ceremony, is centuries old. The proclamation of the new monarch, televised for the very first time. An event likely not seen by anyone who is still alive. The Accession Council of senior politicians and clergy present to hear that King Charles III is their monarch. God save the king. God save the king. The king who approved the presence of TV cameras speaking publicly for second time as sovereign. I am deeply aware of this great inheritance and of the duties and heavy responsibilities of sovereignty which have now passed to me. The new king again paid tribute to Queen Elizabeth's legacy. My mother's reign was unequalled in its duration, its dedication and its devotion. Even as we grieve, we give thanks for this most faithful life. Signing the oath as Charles R, using an ink pot given to him by his sons William and Harry, his proclamation complete, ready to be communicated to the public. Three cheers for His Majesty the King! Hip hip! There was a further proclamation in London and others across the UK too. Later, King Charles went for an impromptu meet and greet near the palace. And in Windsor, his sons, Princes William and Harry, along with Kate and Meghan, did the same to see the tributes and thank the public for their support. This was a rare moment of unity between William and Kate and the Sussexes. Perhaps an important moment for the royal family as it looks to shore up public support at the start of this new era. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Canada has also formally proclaimed Charles as king at a special ceremony this morning. 
That is the chief herald of Canada proclaiming Charles as king and Canada's new head of state at an accession ceremony in Ottawa. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Governor General Mary Simon both signed the order in council and proclamation. Members of the federal cabinet and Privy Council, along with Trudeau, met prior to the ceremony as part of the protocol when it comes to proclaiming a new sovereign. His Royal Highness Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now... By the death of our late sovereign, Charles III, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom, Canada, and his other realms and territories, King, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, to whom we acknowledge faith and allegiance. Canada last read that proclamation in 1952 when Queen Elizabeth II ascended the throne. Welcome back. The random assault of a beloved security guard in Vancouver's Chinatown last month was the last straw for many merchants, including Harold Johnson's wife, who was so fed up she issued a challenge to the city's mayor. And tonight, Kennedy Stewart is responding. Kristen Robinson reports. The second annual Light Up Chinatown Mid-Autumn Festival bringing much-needed visitors to the struggling neighborhood. I do feel uh, brighter days are ahead for Chinatown, and a lot of it's to do with events like this. The heart of Chinatown plagued by street disorder. In August, the security guard who's patrolled the area for two decades repeatedly punched by a stranger while making his morning rounds near the Chinese Cultural Center. The attack on Harold Johnson, a black eye the community was not going to tolerate. I am angry. His wife fed up with the random attacks. Brandy LaRock Johnson, who was raised in Chinatown and runs a shop here, called for merchants to take back the streets. What in the world is the mayor doing? I am going to turn around and challenge Mayor Kennedy to come down here by himself to walk with me in the streets, walk, and see what's really happening here. It's time he woke up. Would you walk with me in the streets here, sir? Everybody needs to feel safe in Vancouver, uh, and we're doing everything we can. I'm very happy to reach out and talk to anybody that would like to uh, discuss this, including, um, including the members of uh, his family. The mayor, who did walk through the East Hastings tent Saturday, not making any promises, but saying public safety is his top priority. You can knock me down, but I'm going to get back up, come back strong. The suspect accused of assaulting Johnson... 44-year-old Kevin Aaron Hibbard wanted on a BC-wide warrant after allegedly failing to appear in court. I want to present a check for $20,000 to Harold. The 64-year-old who plans to return to work before retiring next year, being supported by the community, which has raised almost 30 grand to help with his recovery. Thank you. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The city of Vancouver has signed a deal to turn the former site of Hogan's Alley into a community land trust. The historic black neighborhood in Strathcona was bull in the 1970s to make way for the Georgia and Dunsmere viaducts. The neighborhood provided a home for Vancouver's black community half a century ago. And now it will hold a cultural center and apartments to serve that same purpose. The black community was fragmented and many people continue to feel that fragmentation uh, to this day uh, and isolation. And so we believe uh, it's important to recognize that what this at least begins to do is to create again a heart, a throbbing heartbeat for the black community. 
The community will be a hub for culture and business as well for residences. The plan is for those to be all rental with below and at market prices. In Alberta, two people have died in a head-on crash southwest of Edmonton that involved a car and an ambulance. One of the people killed was an on-duty paramedic. Chris Chacon reports. It was on this highway just outside of the town of Thorsby, southwest of Edmonton, where two people died in a head-on vehicle crash, one of them a paramedic. Some debris still remains on the ground, including a paramedic badge. Around 4 a.m. Saturday, RCMP were called out to Highway 39, where a Buick Skylark collided with an ambulance. Police say the two people who died are a 51-year-old woman and a paramedic from Spruce Grove and a 27-year-old man from Edmonton. RCMP believe the 27-year-old driver who was alone in the Buick crossed the center line while driving westbound, swerving into the ambulance. No patients were on board the ambulance. RCMP say drugs and or alcohol appear to be a factor. Stars Air Ambulance was called out, but no one was transported. Another paramedic who was in the ambulance was taken to hospital by ground with non-life-threatening injuries. EMS is a tight-knit community, and this tragedy will be felt in all corners of our province. The Alberta Paramedic Association sends our condolences to the families of all involved and we are prepared to offer support at the request of the family and our paramedic community. Condolences have been pouring in from all over. In a tweet, the president of the Health Sciences Association of Alberta wrote, A tragic incident has resulted in the death of one of our paramedics and injured a second member. With a heavy heart, I am reminded it is with the strength of colleagues that we must reach to each other for support. Stay safe all. Alberta Health Services and the province's Minister of Health, Jason Copping, also expressing condolences to the family and co-workers. The highway was closed for several hours, but emergency crews have since cleared the scene, reopening the road. AHS is offering supports to paramedics and staff impacted by this tragic loss. Chris Khan, Global News. And Russian military confirmed today their forces are pulling back from Kharkiv following a rapid advance of Ukrainian forces across the region. Ukraine's foreign minister says the gain in territory shows the Russian army can be defeated. The minister is calling on partners for more weapons and support, saying it would bring the war to a faster end. In this advance, Ukrainian forces were able to move in about 50 kilometers behind Russian lines. The region was considered a major supply line for Russia's army. In Health Matters tonight, Recovery Day took center stage in New Westminster today. The Recovery Day Street Festival celebrated its 10th anniversary in uptown New Westminster. From humble roots a decade ago, organizers say this Recovery Day has grown into Canada's largest addiction and mental health festival. The movement shares the vision that recovery is real, available, attainable and sustainable, with the annual event building awareness and challenging the stigma attached to addiction. The most important component on healing this province from the opioid overdose crisis is the people with lived experience that are really to show people the way out, you know. And I, I feel like that with all of the other services that are offered in this province, we have a really good shot of beating this, this opioid overdose crisis that's killing more people than COVID-19. For more than 40 years, the nonprofit Westminster House Society has offered addiction recovery services for youth, girls, women and families in New Westminster. 
Now to a landmark blood donation for the uncle of a young boy who battled cancer. Dave Doherty has been giving the gift of life for 37 years. On Saturday, he made his 100th donation at the donor center on Oak Street. He's making his donation in memory of his nephew, Cameron Bulger, who was six uh, when he was diagnosed with a rare brain cancer. For two and a half years, he was in and out of care, receiving dozens of transfusions and three stem cell transplants before the disease took his life. Cameron was a full of life and energy, and uh, when he got sick, uh, he um, uh, really was supported uh, Canadian Blood Services and really wanted to do all he could to encourage people to, to donate. He was just an amazing guy. It's important because other people need it. It's important because it's uh, the right thing to do in a country that has this wonderful system, the Canadian Blood Services. And it's important because um, it, it just helps others, you know. It's a, it's, just a cool, it's, a cool, it's a cool way of volunteering. It's a cool thing to do. Canadian Blood Services says it still needs 100,000 new donors to keep up with projected needs and demands. Thousands of cyclists took part in the annual Grand Fondo bike ride this morning from Vancouver all the way to Whistler. Three, two, one. The 122-kilometer event began at 7 o'clock this morning in Stanley Park. The cyclists rode over the Lionsgate Bridge and up the Sea to Sky Highway before finishing in Whistler Village. It was the first time the event has taken place since 2019 because of the pandemic, and organizers and riders were excited to clip in. Yvonne is back with weather. Yvonne, a hazy, humid day across much of the province today. Yeah, with the mm-hmm. heat, uh, we have seen temperatures a touch cooler with the smoke out there. But keep in mind, uh, we have seen deteriorating air quality across the region. We'll still track that as we get in towards the latter half of our weekend. We can see that on our tower cam. It's hazy out there. Temperatures are currently sitting at 19 degrees. And we've got a northwesterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. A few other spots, though, it has been a hot start to our weekend. We've got lit in the hot spot across the province, getting up to 34 areas in towards the interior, pushing closer to 30 degrees with Lillooet at 29, similar for Trail, for Victoria today, even topping out at 26 degrees. Now, the plan for Metro Vancouver overnight tonight, we are going to track that smoke. We'll dip down to 13 degrees. It'll likely be widespread through the day, and we've got another warm day, so do keep that in mind. 23 away from the water will be into the low 30s, especially when you factor in the humidex, and those with respiratory issues are recommended to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors with the hazy conditions and the smoke. Air quality index once again along the west end, all that skipped over quite quickly, but it's areas towards the east, especially for the Fraser Valley that are sitting at high, and the air quality advisory also extends Fraser Canyon, Similkameen, a few spots and towards the Columbian Kootenai, and extending into the northeastern corners of the province, as well as Victoria, and extending and including Duncan, where we will see areas that are in grey, impacted by the smoke over the next 24 and potentially 48 hours with that smoke, and potentially in towards next week as well. Smoke forecast shows us that. We've got outflow winds, especially in towards the interior, so those areas will be fanning the flames with smoke across the region and our fire danger rating. Just a reminder, we're still sitting at high, a few spots at extreme. The island is included within that, so please be very diligent. We've got no significant rain in the forecast, so we'll continue to see hot and very dry conditions. The heat tomorrow will be into the low 30s. Bit of a reprieve. It does start to moderate. Those who are looking for a break, it'll likely kick in for a Tuesday and Wednesday with a bit more cloud cover in the mix as well. Now, the northern half of the province, coastal areas up to 
17 degrees. Much of the central interior tomorrow, low 20s with a partly cloudy sky. It's smoke, though, for the southern interior, especially with those outflow winds and temperatures still soaring with Kamloops getting up to 30 degrees. Whistler near the village will top out at 28. The northern and western regions of the island could see a bit more cloud cover, even a slight chance for some drizzle just for the early morning hours. But it's really the smoke that will continue to track. It'll be widespread with the humidex heat as well. Temperatures feeling into the 30s Monday to kick things off. We're back to work in school away from the water, 26 degrees. And then a reprieve on our Tuesday, partly cloudy and a high of 21. Sarah? Okay, lots to keep an eye on. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Another event has returned from a pandemic hiatus with runners hitting the pavement in Vancouver last night for an ultra night run. Three, two, one, go! A bright display for sure as nearly 1,000 runners took part in the run along the seawall at dusk. It started in Stanley Park and stretched past English Bay and for some continued past the Granville Bridge before doubling back. It was the 11th year of the run. There's an exhilaration to running at night. And when you run with a thousand people all wearing headlights, it is just an incredible experience because the lights and that energy just carry you on your run. So many people talk about this event being the event that they get their PV at, their, their personal best, because there's just so much energy. Running at night is exhilarating and, and, uh, and people just enjoy the experience. The run supports the You Can Play charity, an organization working to ensure the safety and inclusion of LGBTQ plus athletes, coaches and fans in sports. That looks so cool. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Temperatures are pleasant in the evening to run. Yeah. So it's actually nice to be in a group outside. No Not kidding. bad scenery there by the seawall mm-hmm. either. For yeah, sure. Speaking spot. of night running, Barry, I think the Whitecaps will be doing some of that tonight. Well, hopefully mm-hmm. they uh, pretty much are on life support right now for their MLS playoff chances. Just hitting the pitch in a couple of minutes in uh, Denver against the Colorado Rapids. So we'll tee that one up for you. And uh, Ever since Nathan Rourke left the Lions' den with that injury, things have been a little lean as well. Second straight loss without Nathan in the lineup last night against Montreal. We'll take a look back at that as well. Environmental groups are once again calling out the provincial government for its old-growth logging policy, issuing a report card grading its strategy aimed at protecting ancient forests. And as Paul Johnson explains, the grades aren't exactly great. Last summer's activism in Ferry Creek settled any questions about how passionate some people are about preserving BC's remaining stands of old growth and ancient forest. With its old growth policy such a hot button issue, two years ago, Victoria promised a revised old growth strategy that would pivot to more conservation and engagement with First Nations. Now a group of four environmental organizations has issued their assessment of the new strategy. Our report card shows that the BC government is currently on a path to failure looking at implementation of this promise. Jens Weeding is with the Sierra Club of BC, one of the groups that issued the so-called report card, which is a collection of D's and F's for things like immediate action on protecting at-risk forest to transparency and communication. Weeding offered this stark example of the scope of ongoing clear-cutting of old growth. Every hour, more than five soccer fields of old growth are being logged in B.C. That's according to provincial data. Global News could not independently confirm that figure. 
and the Ministry of Forests declined to give a statement because of the government's ongoing media blackout out of respect for the death of Queen Elizabeth. But in previous statements, the ministry has said environmentalists have been overstating the loss of old growth and understating their efforts to preserve it. But given this report comes from some of the province's more mainstream conservationists, that they'd give Victoria no higher than a D shows how contentious the issue of old growth remains. Paul Johnson, Global News. Welcome back. Barry DeLay is back. Mm -hmm. Let's look at sports. Yes, we're going to talk mm. uh, Whitecaps to start, Sarah. It is uh, a very tall order for the Whitecaps to make it to the MLS playoffs for a second straight season. They pretty much have to win all of their final five matches, and that may not even be enough. But it starts tonight on the road in Denver against the Colorado Rapids. Oh, and the Whitecaps will be without their top two scorers. Lucas Cavallini is suspended for the next three games after his red card head stomping a couple of weeks ago and Ryan Gauld is also out on yellow card accumulation suspension so not looking good they just kicked off moments ago we will have highlights tonight at 11. Well, when Nathan Rourke was at quarterback for the Lions for the first half of the season, it was must-see TV. The last couple of games, while he's been out recovering from foot surgery, it's been more like turn away from your TV. Apparently, Rourke made playing quarterback in the CFL look a lot easier than it actually is. Last night, both Antonio Pipkin and Vernon Adams struggled as the Lions turned the ball over six times in a mistake-filled 31-10 loss to the Alouettes, making them 0-2 without Rourke. Adams completing that short one to Hatcher, running upfield. It's that kind of night so far for the Lions and for the Owls. BC needs the end zone. Instead, Pitkin is taken down, and there is the second sack. lost quarterbacks the last two weeks and so it, and Pipkin's the third guy who gets almost no reps in practice so it wasn't like he's he knows the playbook and all that stuff but it's not a guy that's been practicing a ton it's not an excuse it's just reality it's hard without going back and watching the film um but ultimately it's just a, a matter of getting better get better find a way and get better CFL today, the Banjo Bowl from Winnipeg. Blue Bombers and Rough Riders, big crowd, a lot of great costumes, fun atmosphere there. Bombers dominated early. Zach Kalaros finding Nick Dembski for the touchdown, and it's 20-7 Blue Bombers. Late second quarter, Kalaros will find Rashid Bailey, and he does most of the heavy lifting on this play. This will not be denied. Check out the dive for the end zone there. 34-yard touchdown just grazes the cone. 27-10 at the half. But the Riders got a big spark on the opening kickoff of the second half. Mario Alford takes it at his own 18, and he's not going to stop until he hits the Bombers' end zone. It's a 92-yard kickoff return touchdown. Riders right back in it down 27-17. But the Rider defense just could not stop Zach Caleros. This is his fourth touchdown pass of the game to Brendan O'Leary-Orange, his first CFL TD. Bombers win the Banjo Bowl 54-20. They're now 12-1, the team to beat for sure. In the Riders now 6-7. Also tonight, 
Elks and Stampeders from Edmonton. Battle of Alberta has been pretty one-sided in recent years in Calgary's favor. First quarter, Taylor Cornelius, S or Elks quarterback, picked off by Trumaine Washington. 45-yard pick six, 7-0. Later in the quarter, now 14-7 Stamps. John Ryan, the former Seahawks punter, now kicking for Edmonton. His punt blocked. Stamps recover at the 1 and would punch it in for another touchdown. Calgary right now with the lead, 27-13, just about to kick off the second half. Busy CFL today in the East, Argos and Red Blacks. Argos took care of business, but barely. Third quarter, McLeod Bethel-Thompson to Curly Gittens Jr. for the touchdown. Argos take it 24-19. They are now 7-5, first place in the East, four points up on second place, Montreal. Vancouver Canadians are in action tonight at Nat Bailey Stadium in their second-to-last regular season game. Next week, they will open the best-of-five Northwest League Championship Series in Eugene, Oregon. Game three will be back at the Nat on Friday. Winning a title would put the capper on what's been a very successful season already for the Seas. It's literally been sunny days for the Vancouver Canadians on and off the field in the club's return to full-season baseball. Not since 1999, when they were a AAA affiliate, have the Seas played April to September at Nat Bailey. And since June, when the weather got nice, fans have packed the stadium to watch the next crop of Toronto Blue Jays prospects. Especially coming from low Wade Dunedin, where there's not as many fans in the summer, it's really hot. Uh, these guys come here and, and they play in front of a major league crowd. It's just not in a major league stadium. The home field advantage is real and uh, getting these guys ready for what it's going to be like in Toronto. The Canadians have some local content. Manager Brent Lavalle grew up in Delta, and slugging infielder Damiano Palmigiani was raised in Surrey. They watched a lot of games growing up in Vancouver, and now they're the ones feeling the energy and support of the Nat Bailey faithful. It's a special crowd, I think, because of that. Not only in, in the numbers and the noise, but just the real, genuine support and, and like love they have for us is, is special. This is Palmigiani's first season as a pro. He was drafted by the Blue Jays in the 14th round last year out of college in Nevada. So playing 130 games this year, as opposed to 60 in college, has been an adjustment. Just kind of learning how to stay consistent with, with everything, with uh, your routine, with your mentality. You know, do you get better after a bad day uh, or do you get, you know, worse after a bad day? You always want to stay even keel. The Canadians hope to cap off this season with a league championship. They'll face Eugene Emeralds in the best of five final next week. But win or lose, it's been mission accomplished for 2022. I think this year is going, going to go down as a win for us as an organization. You look at the amount of players that came in that have moved up to double. Triple A already. It's, it's been a very good season and, and uh, yeah, just something we're going to look back fondly on. All right, the C's big league club, the Blue Jays in Texas. Toronto 13-2 and in its last 15 road games. A great start, top of the first. Alejandro Kirk launches one over the head of the center fielder. Two-run double. George Springer and Bichette score. 2-0 Toronto. They scored four in that first inning. Top of the third, now up 5-3 and Raymel Tapia just crushes one. He knows it. He's admiring that one. A three-run shot to right, measured at 428 feet. His first homer in six weeks. Eight three Jays. And then in the fourth, Danny Jansen. He goes deep. His 12th homer. Jansen with a lot of power in limited at-bats this year. 11-3 Toronto. Although Texas is making a game of it. 11-7 at last check 
as they go to the seventh. U.S. Open women's final from New York. World number one, Iga Świątek of Poland taking on Anjabur of Tunisia, trying to become the first Arab woman to win a tennis major. But Świątek really dominated the first set. She's in the far court, smacks the big forehand here to open up the court, and then gets the put away at net. The 21-year-old Świątek takes the opening set 6-2 in just a half hour. Shabur did force a tiebreaker in the second set, but Sviantek on her second match point. Shabura will go long, and that's it. Iga Sviantek wins her first U.S. Open title, third major. She's only 21. She's won the French Open as well twice. Man Cup, game one last night. Langley Thunder in Peterborough taking on the Lakers. No Western team has captured the Man Cup on the road since 1986, and Peterborough's won three straight titles. Dylan Kinnear with the goal there off the feed from Dane Doby, who had four goals and five assists. Doby with another setup here. They won it 16-11, and we can tell you just moments ago, Dane Doby scored in double overtime, and Langley won 15-14, so they lead the series now. Two, and we'll try to get some highlights of Game 2 tonight at 11. Welcome back, Barry Yvonne. Uh, we're talking about Girl Guide cookies now. <laughs> we all have a favorite flavor, I think. I used to be one. I used to sell them. The chocolate and vanilla <laughs> at the not, time. Not yeah, shocking. Not yeah, shocking. Oh, brownies. Sorry. I didn't make it to Girl Guides. Brownies. Brownies and Girl Guides right here. Yeah. Okay, of yeah. all of the traditions that took a pandemic hiatus, this one's return is the sweetest. Seven. Those are Girl Guide chocolate mint cookies making their triumphant return in Vancouver this afternoon. This particular flavor has been off the market for the past two years, a victim of circumstance because of the pandemic. But now the Girl Guides are back to their traditional fundraising schedule, selling mint cookies in the fall and, of course, the classic chocolate vanilla cookies in the spring. And they, along with more than a few customers, including us, could not be happier. We can sell them many different places. Like, sometimes we're allowed to do it at school as long as we have permission to. Each group across British Columbia has ordered their chocolatey mint girl guide cookies, and they'll be heading out to sell those door-to-door, in public, outside of local businesses, over the coming days and weeks. All proceeds from the sale of those cookies come back to our girl guide programs and also stay in those local communities to support the girls in those same groups. The cookies cost five bucks a box, so me, Barry, and Yvonne will be saving up on that tonight. <laughs> worth Quick, every well dollar. Worth it. <laughs> yeah. Quick look at weather, Yvonne, before we go. Smoky conditions continuing towards tomorrow and still another hot one, so be prepared.